Well, good morning, everyone. It was great to spend this weekend with you. It's just as good to spend this morning with you. I'm glad we're together. I wanted to just uh, share something with you uh, in regards to the time that the elders spent together recently at the end of September for our annual uh, elders retreat. As we've talked about before, this is the time that we set aside each year where we really try to be prayerful and mindful about where God is at work within this church body and where he might be leading us as a church family. And we, we really try to have that same heart of Moses that we talked about last week. Remember when he said, Lord, if your presence does not go with us, we don't want to go from here. <laughs> That's the same heart that we intend to have as we seek the Lord and where he may be leading us as a church family. Now, one of the things that we were encouraged by this year is we had a unique opportunity to really look forward to the things that God's doing within this church body, and we really weren't overwhelmed with any particular crisis that might be going on. And I say that to you because I want to thank you uh, for that. And what I mean is that you are living life with one another, because just because we're not dealing with any particular crisis doesn't mean that there aren't any going on, because we know there are. But what we also know is that you are walking through those things together as a church body as he designed us to. And we're coming alongside you, praying with you, praying for you, but you're living through that with each other. So on behalf of the elders, I want to thank you and tell you how much we appreciate being a part of a church body who lives life together in such a meaningful way so well. It's really a privilege uh, to be a part of that. Now, that being said, we do want to invite you to be a part of something that God has put on our heart for some time. In fact, it's never not on our heart. It's something that we are consistently praying about and asking the Lord for. Now, as I say this, I want you to know that in, as far as I understand, there's no particular elder planning to leave the elder team anytime soon. But we also want to be mindful of who God might raise up within this body to continue to, to shepherd this church family in humility and in seeking to th the truth of God's word. And so we want to ask you to join us in the process of, of praying that God might raise up those men. Um, because we believe that biblical eldership is a, a part of the way in which God uh, allows us to be spiritually strong and healthy as a family. And as Carrie said, we have a... a a welcome class coming up soon, and so if you want to know a little bit more about what elder governance means um, and how that fleshes itself out within this body of believers, we'd encourage you to come and just be a part of that discussion with us where we kind of walk through some of those things together. But here's what I want you to do. I want to ask you to do two things as it relates to this prayer. The first thing is we just want you to join us in the prayer, that, that God might raise up men who might be willing to humbly serve and shepherd this church body, who are faithful to spend time in God's word as it leads their life personally, and then using that same truth to help guide and direct others as well. And to do that, I want to give you a couple of passages I want to ask you to look at. So write these down. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And the second one is Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. These are a couple of places where the scripture speaks about biblical eldership and the qualifications. And so when you go to the Lord and pray, I want to ask you to pray according to those passages that God might raise up men who demonstrate these qualities. As 
I say that, I also want you to do one other thing. So be prayerful, but I also want you to be mindful. I want you to join with us in seeing what God does to raise up men who demonstrate this heart, who are in the process of shepherding people even now, who are faithful to look at God's word and help people understand how that applies to their life even now. And, and engage with those men. Ask them about their heart's desire. Because Paul actually tells Timothy one of the qualifications of an elder is a desire to serve the church family in that way. So see if that's what's on their heart. And, and let us know about men you see who demonstrate those qualities, whose heart is already at work shepherding this church family. And then let's just join together in praying that God would do his work within this body as he intends. Now, in saying that, I do want to remind us of something that Paul will actually speak to in our passage this morning. Even though God has designed his church to function in a certain way with certain roles and responsibilities, we need to understand that there is no difference in the value of the contribution that a person makes, whether they serve as an elder or a deacon or a single mom. God has knit us together as one body so that the contribution that each one of us makes is never independent of the valuable benefit of what someone else does. They are interconnected with one another, and God designed it that way. In fact, our faith has introduced us into the family of God where we are joined together as one body. That's really the reason behind the family ministry conference this weekend. That was the heart behind everything that we talked about and everything that we did together. To, to understand what it means to, to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the sake of the gospel. Learning what it means to fill the earth with the family of God as he designed it to be from the moment of creation. And so... One of the things I want to encourage you in, if you weren't able to attend the, the family ministry conference this weekend, we know people have different things that are going on. We're going to do our best to have that online for you and uh, hopefully be able to do that soon. And if our plans work out, we even want to have it in a, in a video format so you can actually see how it was presented live. We really want this message of what God speaks to in terms of what it means to be a family of God to really infiltrate the, the very culture and very being of who we are as a body of Christ. So I want to encourage you and point you to that, and we'll continue to, to revisit that as we uh, speak to it in the future. One of the reasons that we think that's important is because we're convinced that our own personal spiritual growth is deeply connected to how we love one another. In fact, when Paul speaks to us in our passage this morning, he's going to tell us that growing in Christ requires that we live in unity with one another. The one cannot exist without the other. It's that dependent. And so we want to unpack that together and see how that applies to us. And in God's sovereignty, it's going to fit perfectly with what we walk through this weekend. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I want to just thank you for the good works that you prepared beforehand so that we can walk in them. We couldn't have planned and orchestrated the way things have matched up, no matter how good or creative we think we may be. This is a work of your hands. 
and it's an evidence of your love for this church body, a people called by your name to carry out your purposes as we love one another and share a faith and a common ground in our love for you. So as we look at that idea in this passage this morning, would you just guide our hearts and open our eyes to bring it to life in each and every one of us. We pray this in your name. Amen. So if you would, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to pick up right where we left off last time. And uh, So chapter 3, verse 1. If you will, begin reading with me. Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not yet able. I want to pause there and make the point that Paul is looking back. You'll notice he begins with a past tense of a time that he experienced with the Corinthian church. And, and I believe that that time reflects his first encounter with them. When he gave them that gospel message of who Christ is and, and what he came to do. When he determined to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It was at that time that Paul says that they were infants in Christ, just learning what it means to walk in faith. Remember, as I said last week, we don't just wake up one day with the mind of Christ. We've got to grow and mature and understand what that means and what it looks like, how his truths apply to our life. And so Paul didn't expect the Corinthians to immediately wake up one day and be prepared to understand all the things that, that God had prepared for those who love them. Which is why he gave them milk to drink and not solid food. The image here that is portrayed in this passage is a mom nursing a child. Where she delivers nutrition to that newborn that she has processed with her own body. In the same way, Paul began feeding the Corinthian church. The truths that he had come to understand on his own, the things that he had learned to apply in his life that he was then sharing with them. And like any mom, he had the same hope and intention that, that one day they would grow and mature to the place where they would be able to spiritually feed themselves, where they would take in God's word as he has and, and to digest those truths as he has. And learn to apply those truths to their lives as he's doing as well. I really do appreciate this, this picture of this mother and a child and what Paul is portraying here. Because I believe it, it protects us from burdening new believers with this heavy list of expectations that we expect them to articulate in order to validate their faith. When Paul first came to the Corinthians... He wanted them to know very simply the truth of who Christ is and what he came to do. He wanted them to, to understand the significance of he who knew no sin becoming sin on their behalf so that in him they might become the righteousness of God. Because until that Corinthian church had an understanding of their sin that separated them from their relationship with God, they would have no appreciation of their need for a Savior. And so through Paul's own testimony 
in his declaration of God's transforming work in his life, he was able to bring them to an understanding of their need to surrender their life to Christ as well. And we have every indication that that faith was genuine. At the beginning of his letter, you'll remember that, that Paul says that he encouraged the Corinthian church and their testimony of Christ that was confirmed in them. Even in our passage here, he says they are infants in Christ. They are believers in who Jesus is and what he came to do. The problem is, it's five years later, and not much has changed. And that's of great concern to Paul, and he'll begin to explain why. In the end of verse 2, he says, even now, you're not yet able. In other words, it's been five years, and not a lot has changed. So look at how he continues in verse 3. He says, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? You see, up to this point, Paul has been making a comparison, and it's an important comparison, as he compares the natural man, void of the spirit, through unbelief. And the spiritual man led by the Spirit through trust and faith in Jesus Christ. But now, he introduces a third category. And the reason we know that's true is because in the original language, Paul uses a word here to describe these fleshly people that is distinctly different from those other two categories. The idea here is that these are people whom, in whom the, the testimony of Christ has been confirm. He said that back in chapter 1. These are believers. But instead of relying on the Spirit to guide their life, they turn instead to the wisdom of the world and are therefore fleshly. Now, in saying that, I want to ask you a question. How does Paul know that? I mean, this is a matter of the heart, right? So, so how does Paul know what is driving the de decisions of these Corinthian believers? I think Paul answers that question at the, in the end of verse 3. Look at that again. Verse 3, he says, For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking as mere men? You see, the fruit of the Spirit is, is love and peace, not jealousy and strife. And so Paul can see what's happening inside the heart of the Corinthians by how they're living their life with one another. And what he observes is that the Spirit is not the one who is in control. These are people who have been set free from slavery to sin but who willingly choose to live according to the wisdom of the world. When Paul says that they're walking like mere men, essentially what he's saying is, guys, your life doesn't look any different than the world around you. You're supposed to be a people of God, but there's nothing distinctive about your life. And then in verse 4, Paul 
brings up an issue that he's already confronted back in chapter 1. He says, for when one says, I'm a Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not mere men? Now, I want to connect what Paul just said to how he began this passage. He says, look, it's very normal, even expected, for somebody who's new in their faith to rely on a mother's milk, to to attach themselves to someone who is helping them understand what it means to, to walk in faith. But it's been five years, and they're still at a place where they have not developed the ability to feed themselves. And that's not right. Instead, they continue to have an unhealthy reliance on certain teachers that they see giving credibility to their faith. It's this loyalty to certain people that has given an evidence of the immaturity of where they are in their walk with Christ. Their growth is stunted because they're putting their dependence on people and not on God. When I was at UMC, uh, on occasion I would spend some time in the NICU, uh, mainly observing uh, staff that I worked with and the things that they did in that place. And uh, one of the things that was common among those little fragile babies uh, that they were working with in the NICU was uh, what was called a, a diagnosis called failure to thrive. It was a very dangerous condition, usually caused by something that was uh, uh, not allowing that little infant to bring in nourishment, to grow and develop as you would expect them to. It could be a cleft palate. It could be any kind of a, a feeding aversion. But the diagnosis was, was given to a baby when the the rate of their weight gain was significantly less than other children in the same age and gender. I think Paul is looking at the Corinthian church and applying the very same diagnosis. They have failure to thrive. The Corinthians were suffering from a disease caused by their inability to to take in nourishment, spiritual truth from spiritual food. Instead, they were relying on the empty calories of the world's wisdom, which is insufficient to sustain the normal growth and development of a healthy spiritual life. Now, in saying that, Let's be honest with ourselves, and in our own experience, we know that uh, those empty calories are pretty tasty, right? Ice cream, pizza, that's good stuff, right? And in the same way, the world has a really diverse menu of options of things that are quite tasty, but never satisfying to your soul. Jason talked about it this weekend. It's the desire for something more. Something different than what I already have. It's something that, you know, if we had fill in the blank, then life would be better. And then you turn the corner, as Jason says, and there's another one. If we had, life would be better. Something more. Now, you see, the reality is that uh, you can feast on that menu that the world offers and you might not starve because you're 
eating something. But here's the reality. You could actually die from eating too much of the wrong thing. I don't know if y'all remember it or not, but there's actually a documentary uh, called, uh, what was the name of it? Supersize Me. I remember that documentary. It's a true documentary about a guy who did an experiment in which he was the subject. <laughs> and what he did is he committed himself to eating McDonald's for all three meals for 30 days. I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that it almost killed him. His doctors said that his health had decayed to such a degree that if he were to continue in that lifestyle, it would eventually cost him his life. And the very same thing is true for us. When we try to sustain our life on a steady diet of all those things the world has to offer, it will eventually cost us our life. It will eventually destroy our relationships because the one who is serving you that food is here to steal, to kill, and destroy. You see, I think that's the reason behind Paul's concern in writing this letter to the Corinthians to begin with. They were spiritually malnourished. And the path that they were on were, would be ultimately devastating. Now look at how he continues in, in chapter 5. He says, what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. But God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. But each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. I love this example because Paul basically looks at the Corinthian church and says, Hey guys, listen to me. We're just field hands. Me and, and Apollos, we're field hands. Working in land that is owned by God. I think verse 5 may give us a clue of how some of those divisions might uh, have formed because he tells them that these factions developed because they saw them as servants through whom they believed. But Paul goes on to say, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. In other words, anything we did, was ultimately directed by God. And if there was any effect in your life, it was ultimately caused by Him. We're just farmhands. God is the one who softens hearts, who opens ears, and makes truth come alive in your heart. It's the only one. And then Paul uses a... a, a that agricultural analogy in a way that everyone in that room would have understood and you and I have no problem understanding as well. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God who causes the growth. Now, even as he says that, I want you to think about Paul planted, but where did he get the seed? Apollos watered, 
But where did he get the water? And for that matter, whose field were they working in? (laughs) See, Paul is wanting the people to understand, look, we're just field hands. And everything we plant is a seed of truth given to us by God. Nourished by water provided by the spring of life. In a field that is ultimately his own creation. And if there's a harvest, it's a work of God. And since that's true, where do the Corinthians need to attach themselves in order to become spiritually mature? Is it Paul? Is it Apollos? Well, you might want to just fill in any of the famous preachers and pastors that exist in our world today. The point is, no man is sufficient because unless you abide in Christ, your faith will not grow. That's the reason Paul says in verse 7 that neither he or Apollos are anything because the fact of the matter is they can't do anything apart from Christ. He's the only one who can make the truth come alive. In someone's heart. Now, even as I say that, I think of all the times that I leave this place on Sunday morning and I get home. My sweet, patient wife, (laughs) I tell her, I say, I don't know. Does what I do really make a difference? Is it really impacting anybody's life? I mean, because I look out here every Sunday morning and I see you guys, and, and I see when people are dozing off. <laughs> I see when people are texting on their phone. I see when they're nudging the person next to them because they're really not interested in what I have to say. So I do, I wonder, is what I'm doing really making a difference? I mean, it's a lot of work if it means nothing. Well, I believe this passage answers my question. Does what I do week in and week out, make any difference? This passage answers the question, and the answer is no. No. I'm just a field hand. A servant of God. And you are the field of God. Jesus is the only one who can make his truth come alive in your life. Now, I'm grateful because he's given me a whole package of seeds to work with. And and I hope to, to be faithful in planting those seeds each and every week, but I cannot change another person's heart. It is a work of God. Now, that being said, I want us to understand that we're not passive in this. That God actually does require something of you. He requires something of me. Do you know what that is? Faithfulness. Faithfulness to do what God has called each and every one of us to do. Because in the end, my contribution is never sufficient. Verse 8, Paul makes the point, and this is such an important point. I want you to see it. He says, the one who plants 
and the one who waters is one. They are one because they need each other. They're not two things, separate and distinct from one another. They're one. Because if someone waters a ground that there's no seed, there's no way anything can grow. And if somebody comes and plants and there's no water, it can't live. The one is dependent upon the other. See, God doesn't call just me to be faithful and Randa to be faithful and Jerry to be faithful independent of one another. He calls us to be faithful collectively as a church, as a people of God. So your individual faithfulness is what allows the church to function in accordance to God's design. Your individual faithfulness is how the manifold wisdom of God is displayed by the church. And it's through that faithfulness that the Scripture says we find our reward. Now, as I say that, I want us to be clear about this reward. Because I think a lot of times we think of reward as a payment for a job well done. Jason, you did a great job this weekend. So God's going to bless you and give you some extra spending money. So go have some fun. Right? Is that what it means? Is that the reward? I think a lot of times when we see that in Scripture, in our Western minds, we think individually. And I'll be honest with you. When I first worked through this passage, it's exactly what I thought about. I wonder what that reward looks like in my life. But then I got to thinking. If God wants us to be faithful, so that what each one of us does is never interdependent, I mean, is never independent of what anybody else is doing, then why would our reward be, be expressed or experienced individually? If our faithfulness is faithfulness corporately, then why would the reward be only personal? I think this is one of the reasons that the Corinthian church is in the place that they are. is because the divisiveness of that body has caused them to forfeit their reward. They were spiritually malnourished. Because their growth in, requ- in Christ requires that they live in unity with one another. The one cannot exist without the other. And so when you think about reward... Do not think of it individually. Think of it corporately. Think about how God uses each and every one of us in a special and unique way that is interdependent upon the contribution of others so that the reward that we receive is something that we experience together as a body of Christ made one through the Spirit of God. Here's how I want you to think of your reward. And I've never looked at this passage in this way, but I absolutely am convinced that this is what our reward is. Listen to it. Here's your reward. Our reward is the equipping of the saints for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To a mature man, to the measure and stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we're no longer to be children, 
Because we've grown up. We've, we've matured. So we're not tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming of the world, by that menu of options offered to us every day. No. We're going to speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted together, and listen, held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. And here's what happens. Causing the growth of the body, of the building up of itself in love. That's our reward. The love of God experienced within the body of Christ through the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's our reward. Our reward is that we are a people called by His name and dwelled by the presence of the Creator of this universe. Can you think of a better one? Does any of the individual world rewards that we might come up with compare to that? Don't miss it. The reward of our faithfulness is a shared experience of God's love through whom every righteous desire is ultimately fulfilled. That menu that the world offers, it's not going to satisfy but the spiritual truth and wisdom found within the family of God will feed your soul for an eternity. Because that's the way God designed it. It's found in our service with His people to the praise and glory of His name. Which is why I said in the very beginning that our personal spiritual growth is deeply connected to how we love one another. The one cannot exist without the other. Which brings me full circle to what I talked about in the beginning as the very basis for the reason that we had our family ministry conference this weekend. Because even though God has saved each and every one of us individually through a personal decision to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that decision introduces us into the family of God. And our reward is found when we are each faithful to what God has called us to do. When we are committed to the fellowship that we have with one another. And so with that in mind, I want to give you two things that I want you to walk away with today and really process and think through through this week, okay? The first one is this. I want you to examine your diet. I want you to examine your diet. Not what you're eating with your mouth, but what you're consuming with your mind. Because what fills your mind is what nourishes your heart. So what are you feeding your mind? Is it the empty calories of what the world has to offer? <laughs> is that menu of options of things that promise to give you pleasure and satisfaction that are always leaving you empty? Is that what you're feeding your mind with? Or are you feeding your mind with the truth of God, from the Word of God. 
there was a quote that I read this last week that really struck me. I shared it with Graham. It said, the most important decision that you and I make every day is what we decide to feed our mind. It's the most important decision that we make every day. And let me just add here, specifically for our church body. I know you well enough and I respect you well enough to know that most every one of you have enough knowledge of this book to feed you for a lifetime. So I'm not telling you to go out there and learn something new. What I'm asking you to do is to take something you already know to be true and learn how to apply it more faithfully to your life. See, the, the issue is not learning something new. It's taking what we already know to be true and being faithful to apply it to our life. So think about that. What are you feeding your mind? And are you being faithful to do what God has called you to do as he has directed you through his word and the fellowship of his people? And with that fellowship, let me encourage you in a second way. Let me ask you to take some time this week and to specifically reach out and encourage someone else within this body. Just drop them an email, invite them to coffee. It doesn't matter how you extend that act of love, but I want to ask you to speak some encouragement into someone's life. To let them know that, that their contribution is significantly important to the cause of Christ. Older men, let me encourage you to reach out to some younger men. Older women, let me encourage you to reach out to some younger women. Make a commitment to be more faithful, to cultivate meaningful relationships within the body of Christ. We need each other. We are one. So nothing any one of us does is ever disconnected to what someone else might do. Our personal spiritual growth is deeply connected to how we love one another. So consider how to encourage each other towards love and good deeds. Find your reward in the work of service with the people of God, empowered by the very presence of God and His Holy Spirit who indwells us as His people, called by His name. We are the family of God. And so go fill the earth with the presence of God. Let me pray. Father, thank you for how your word guides our life. We need to be reminded, not just this morning, but uh, on a lot of mornings, how important it is for that first decision of what we decide to feed our mind. We're going to go to our phone, see what comes through on the media, what somebody's posted on Facebook, what somebody put on Twitter. Is that what we're going to feed our mind? Father, I pray that there is a heart's desire in each and every one of us to consume truths of your word, seeds that are planted that bring life through faith and trust in you. Help us to be spiritually healthy because we're eating the right things. <laughs> we're consuming the right things with our mind. 
and help us to not think only in terms of what we're doing individually. Help us to live those truths out corporately as a body of Christ. Considering how to encourage each other towards love and good deeds. Knowing that no one contribution that any one person makes is independent of the others. But in fact, we are being built together as a body of Christ to experience the love of God through the very indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of His people. And that we are being called to fill the earth with that presence of God. In love and faith. Encouragement. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.